the past couple of years, we've really reincorporated open read cow calls into our calling scenarios. I mean, we still, you know, we still rely heavily on diaphragm reads just because, like you said, the hands-free aspect of it. But man, adding that other element with that pitch, that tone, and the volume, the volume that you can get on open read cow calls, man, it's it's a windy day. Blast that open read cow right, call. Right. Let that thing cover ground. One thing that I noticed with quite a few bulls in that area, they would hardly ever bugle if they were out in the open. But then once they were in the timber, they would actually vocalize, you know, in the timber. But again, that timber is knocking that sound down and it's not traveling you know, right. quite as far. It's amazing that so many people are like, yeah, I've been hunting for five years. And, and I'm like, okay, you've, you've been hunting for five years. You haven't had any success. And, you know, you ask him, well, well, what have you changed? What have you adjusted? Right. Well, I called you. Okay, five years later, but what did you do in that five-year time? Nothing. I went to the same camp. I hunted the same areas. I did the same things. And just like, okay, don't be afraid to try new stuff. You don't have to be perfect on your bugles to, you know, get a bull to respond. And and again, that's one of those things. I was like, God, you know, we we spend so much time practicing and we focus on being perfect that we're afraid to make a mistake mm -hmm. when when we're bugling. But you know, they make mistakes all the time. Why can't we? Welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I'm going into my 15th year of podcasting. Can't believe it's been that long. I want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content, etc. It hasn't been easy, but uh, it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting. Speaking of helping me keep this going, please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could, go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member. We have partnered with Go Hunt, so now you could get your cake and eat it too. What I what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt, and if you look at their Insider full subscription, it's one hundred forty nine dollars. And with the Insider, you get the Explorer as well. So we have both packages, but Explorer is is their mapping software, and it's completely dedicated just to hunting. You know, it's got the public and private land boundaries, offline maps, 3D, point tracker, and all the Western states are included. It's a, it's a great tool. So you get that plus um, with the Insider, you get the advanced filtering and search tools, industry leading draw odds, unit profiles, and uh, easy to read state regulation overviews and species profiles and expert insights and all this exclusive content plus monthly giveaways so the go hunt insider subscription is an awesome deal right but it's 149 dollars a year and if you've been on the fence and didn't know you if you wanted to spend that 149 dollars let me tell you it's really worth it but we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Howlful Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a Insider or a Explorer package, you not only get a free subscription to Go Hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about, but you get all the benefits of becoming a Howlful Wildlife member. And that includes our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners. You are automatically included in the Halfa Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Alpha Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for, for perpetuity here and so that our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it. And uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, Go Hunt jumped on board with us. And um, it's a great way to support Alpha Wildlife. It's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use. I use Go Hunt Insider all the time. I've been a member for a very long time and it's how I get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there. And now you're getting 
extra stuff with it. So it's a great, great system. So go check it out. Become a member today. And uh, let's roll into this next episode. Thanks. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today we're going to do a little uh, we're gonna do a catch-up session, a little uh, storytelling session with Michael Batiste of the Elk Calling Academy. What's going on, man? Oh, man. I, I just... Yeah. So glad to be here. Glad to get back and sit down and talk with you. And, you know, like I kind of mentioned when we first got on, hard to believe it's been since 2019. So, yeah, catch-up catch session is, uh, is, is a good way to uh, label that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, last we talked, you're you know you were kind of not just starting out with the, the academy, but it was it was fairly new. How how are things going with that? You know, it's going good actually. Um, you know, the the one on one sessions are going really well, and and I created a page on Patreon and got quite a few people you know in there that uh, it's it's. It's kind of because, you know, I used to always do those Wapiti Wednesday live Q&As every Wednesday night. And I kind of uh-huh. shifted and transitioned. And now I only do that every two weeks, you know, for those herd members. Right. And, and now we're getting ready to transition again to that. I am actually re-recording all of the videos within the e-course, adding in a bunch of new videos and switching over to more of a true e-course platform and target for that is is july 1st to hit the go live button on that so pretty pretty excited to uh nice. continue to grow and take everything over onto a, a new platform that's a lot easier to find the information and and like i said adding so much more to it and and still doing the live q a's every two weeks for that group awesome that's awesome man Glad to see you see, having a little success with that, and uh, things are rolling. I, uh, yeah, I poked around a lot on that, and I, I, I thought you had a lot of good information, and definitely for people who were not, uh, you know, uh, well, I, I shouldn't even put it that way, but really, mm-hmm. any, any, any level of expertise or excuse me, experience should, you know, be able to pull stuff away from that. And I, I thought it was really good. I oh, appreciate that. Yeah, and that's. You know, one of the things that I'm I'm really exciting to and that I'm adding this go around because because everything up to this point has been focused on diaphragm reads, diaphragm reads, teaching uh-huh. on diaphragm reads. And, you know, there's there's a sector out there that's not getting any love. And, and those are the people that have really narrow, high arched palates or have gag reflexes, allergy, gag reflexes, allergies. Yeah all this. And so that's one of the things that I'm adding into the new e-course is not only am I teaching the full gambit of elk valve vocalization on diaphragms, but I'm also doing it on externals. You know, nice. how to do how to do all the cow vocalizations on an external cow call, how to do all of the bugles on an external rebugle so that so that you know that group can go out and get in vocalizations and do a lot of these scenarios that are taught to people with diaphragms. And so I'm, I'm really excited to add that aspect into the e-course. That's awesome, man. Um, you know, there, there is a, it's funny. I was actually just talking with, uh, with my buddy, Jermaine Hodge and, uh-huh. he, and he was talking about that a lot. Like he's like, there's, I, I, he's, he started incorporating it in his in his seminars a little bit because there's so many people that really can't or even the ones that don't physically have uh, like obstacles physically mm-hmm. to, to using them. There's also people that just can't seem to, you know, manipulate the, the read the right way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to have... Well, that's why those those calls are on the market, you know, because they're they lend to a certain you know level ex- experience or to the people who can't physically do it, you know. So mm-hmm. it's it's oh yeah yeah. I, I, I mean, I remember early on in my my you know elk hunting career, it was it was the Primo's Terminator. I, I oh yeah, call, I still have. I one. did not call on diaphragms <laughs> for the longest time. I mean, there was there was probably a good four five, six years when I first started out that everything was externals. It was the Primo's Terminator. It was open ring cow calls. 
And, you know, what's kind of funny is 2020. Yep. Yeah, because we last talked in 2019. So 2020, mm-hmm. the night before season starts, we always have a, a tradition in our camp that the night before season starts, it's brats and beer. Okay. And so I cooked a bunch of brats and I did not wait long enough. And I burnt the roof of my mouth to the point where I had a little mini blister. So I Oof. couldn't use a diaphragm the first two weeks of the season. So I was forced to go back to external read bugles and external read cow calls. Wow. And, and John, I'll, I'll tell you what, I had so much stinking fun using those externals. And, and I, you know, I looked at one of my hunting partners and was like, why did we ever go away from using externals? You yeah. know, I, I mean, I know for get, me, the external cow call stuff is because of, they're cumbersome, you know, having another thing in your hand and you got to put it away when you have a elk coming in and you're like full draw or whatever. You can't really like keep it in your mouth. I mean, you kind of can if you're really <laughs> careful and hold it off to the side or whatever. But I know for me, that's like one of the main reasons why I was like, I need to learn how to freaking use a diaphragm. But oh, yeah. But but I went, I went through and watched some old hunts. And in fact, you know, on on the elk calling academy page, I I shared a hunt from several years back of a bull that I called in for a buddy, and and this was this was a crazy hunt because this bull, I mean, we worked this bull all morning long, and finally called him to eighteen yards, and and I mean, the arrow zips through this bull, and the bull only takes ten steps up the hill and stops, and then his legs come out from underneath him, and he rolls back down the hill. It was that steep. He rolls back down the hill and stops two yards from where the shooter oh, was kneeling. And I did a majority, you know, I did quite a bit of cow calling on an external read call. In fact, I think it was the old Carlton fighting cow call. Mm-hmm. And, and this bull was just eating it up. And again, I'm sitting there going, why did I take this out of the repertoire? Why did I stop yeah. using and and so yeah, the past couple of years we've we've really reincorporated open read cow calls into our calling scenarios. I mean, we still you know we still rely heavily on diaphragm reads just because, like you said, the hands free aspect of it. Right. But man, adding that other element with that pitch, that tone, and the volume, mm-hmm. the volume that you can get on open read cow calls, man, it's it's a windy day. Blast that open read cow right, call. Right. Let that thing cover ground. I used to have a lot of success and I, and I used it up until 2017. I used a Primo's cowgirl mm-hmm. and that's kind of like a bite and blow yep. style. And, um, it was really good for calf sounds like real, like high, you know, like higher pitched and like one yep. year, one year than, than most. One thing I don't like, and I, I, you know, you can have problems with your, with your um, diaphragms too. But one thing I don't like about bite and blows and and externals like that is sometimes they'll freeze up, and, yep. and literally freeze from they're cold, but just like freeze up on the you know for no reason, yeah. no apparent reason yeah. at all. They, they stick because they get that buildup of saliva down yeah. un, uh, underneath. And, 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 you know, a lot of companies have realized that. And, and for years, all of the sound boards on those open read cow calls were a smooth, flat surface. And now companies are kind of starting to go to tapered boards on the call channel. So only the outer edges of the read are making contact or they're going with a little bit of a rough surface. Uh So there's, so there's not that completely flat surface and, and those advancements and changes there has really changed the game on read sticking. And in fact, there's, there's a new player coming into the elk world. Uh, Slayer calls Slayer has been, kind of in the waterfowl industry and turkey industry for a long time. And they're just now branching out into the elk world. And I, I chit chatted with them a couple of weeks ago about playing around with some of their reads and doing some testing and stuff. But I went on their website and you should go check it out. Slayer calls, but check out their open read calls and take a look at the soundboards because they are completely, they basically have, 
raised grooves. Okay. So you have channels for the saliva to go down in that won't allow that reed to stick on that soundboard. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's good to see that they're making some some improvements on some of that stuff because you know a lot of these things they, you know, they came out forever ago and they're still there you know so <laughs> they are they are yeah everybody uses the same sound boards the same mylar reed mm-hmm. you, you know really the only difference between a lot of them is is the barrels you know the material whether it's acrylic or wood or plastic or right, uh, right. i mean that's that's really the only difference and whether it's a wide mylar or a thin mylar thick thin i mean there's there's some variations but yeah pretty much everybody gets those components from the same companies Gotcha. Well, I have you on so you can share with us some of your stories. I'd like to <laughs> like to hear some of some good ones if you have any that you'd like to share. Absolutely. In fact, one that popped in my head when you were talking about a reed sticking. So it was it was the same year as that bull that rolled down the hill. It was I, I think it was about a week later. And I was, I was in this area, it was a natural mineral lick that in the evening time, uh, the natural mineral lick was at the head of this long drum and you had two really big ridges on both sides. And in the evening time, you would have seven or eight bulls that would come down in this timbered flat where this mineral lick is. And, and I, I work back there and I'm sitting, sitting by the mineral lick waiting for the action to start. And, and I throw off a location bugle and get multiple responses. And, and it seems like with those guys, as soon as one goes, they all go, they uh-huh. all decide it's time to start bugling and start working in. And so here's, here's all these bulls working down and I'm kind of holding still to see who the lead is, you know, which, which direction am I going to go and which bull am I going to work? Cause you know, this is kind of an evening hunt where, it's fast and furious. You don't have a lot of, a lot of light. And so I, I, I determined that the one on the left coming down through the, through the Aspen face was going to be the closest. And so I work over to him and I'm playing that fight and cow call hard. I mean, I am singing sweet nothings to this dude and he's eating it up. <laughs> he's coming in like a string and I'm like, okay, I'm starting to pick my shooting lanes where he's going to come, where I'm going to shoot him, all this stuff. And I go to blow one more time just to kind of give that last little, you know, hey, here I am, come on in. And that read stuck. And it made this sound that probably sounded like you stepped on a duck. It just squeaked and hawked. And all of a sudden, the whole entire forest went completely quiet. (laughs) And so... And I, I looked up and I saw the bull and, and he's just kind of sitting there staring and he just turned and did a 180 and completely left. And I was so mad about that thing sticking that I rolled off that flat and rolled back to camp and got dinner going and started a little fire. And I was still so ticked off about it that I reached in my pocket and I grabbed that fighting cow call and I threw it in the fire. I'm like, this thing is just ridiculous. It just cost me a bull. And man, the next morning, next morning I got up and went out to another spot and uh, got into bulls again. And all of a sudden I'm rifling through every pocket I have on my pants looking for that call. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that I threw it in the fire the night before. Oh, Jesus. That's (laughs) crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So had to, had to rely heavily on, uh, on that one. So I was going to ask oh. you if you had any good stories, like, you know, take us through paint the picture that like, maybe you learned something about elk hunting and it like changed the way you, you hunt today because, because of that hunt, like you made yep. a realization of something. Yep. So, uh, this would have been 2019 season. Uh, you know, we were still, I, I think that was, you know, year one or year two, year, year two in this new area that, you know, we're hunting now and uh, kind of worked up this trail. And, and it was one of those things where I, I just, I had this little, little voice telling me just, just go to the right, go to the right. And so I looped around to the right and got up and, and found this great big bench and I, I mean, I, again, it was an evening hunt. I knew it was fairly early. So I kind of walked around and explored this, this bench a little bit. 
And I found on the east end of it kind of three trails that came up and then formed one major trail that then went. And so what it was was, you know, you had these these ridges that went down below this bench to the east. And so everything was shaded. And so I'm like, okay, this is, this is different groups that are using these different trails to come up into this bench and then on this main trail. And so I'm going to sit back a little bit, make sure thermals aren't blowing off to them. So I'm not blowing them out. I can kind of control thermals better up here. And I'm just going to, you know, call and, and set up and, and kind of work them as soon as they get up on this bench. <laughs> and I heard the multiple bulls start going as they were working up. And that's all I could hear was, was the bulls. I didn't hear any cow vocalizations. I didn't hear any of it. And I'm like, God, they, they've got to have, they've got to have cows. Why am I not hearing anything? And, and one of the bulls is getting a little closer than all of a sudden I could just hear foom, 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 foom. And I, I get ready and, and all of a sudden this, this cow steps out and she stands there and she starts mewing. <laughs> and John, it was so soft. I was only 25 yards from her and I could barely hear her. And, and I'm like, man, that is just, why is she being so soft? You know, and I immediately start going, does, does she have a problem with her vocals? Did she get injured? You know, what's going on? And then, then the rest of the herd comes up and every single cow and calf was so soft and so quiet. And, you know, the thick timber was really knocking everything down. And that's when I really, you know, realized going, okay, you know, elk have really adapted to predators, you know, especially mm -hmm. with wolves. And, and so they still have all of their vocalizations. They're still doing all of their breeding vocalizations. They're still doing all their, their communication vocalizations. But what they're doing is, one, they're turning their volume way down. And they're also doing their communications in thick timber because that thick timber knocks all that sound down. It doesn't let it travel as far. And, and so I spent the rest of the year just kind of watching – the herd. And the one thing that I noticed with quite a few bulls in that area, they would hardly ever bugle if they were out in the open. Huh. But then once they were in the timber, they would actually vocalize, you know, in the timber. But again, that timber is knocking that sound down and it's not traveling you right. know, quite as far. And so, so that's one of the things that we've really done and really adjusted in our setups is when we're doing any sort of cow vocalization or cow communications, we really make sure that we turn that volume down, especially if we're in close to elk. Uh -huh. We really, we really, really turn that that decibel level, that volume level down quite a bit. So, a buddy of mine. This is what I had. I had a tag here in Arizona. It was 2014. Yeah. 2014, because I drew it back to back years. 2013, 2014, 2013, I shot a bull. 2014, I shot one, but we didn't recover it. And he came to call for me, and he grew up in the area where I was, where I was calling. And I realized that he would call really, really low when he was cow calling, and he was getting way more more responses than I would when I would call. And, and we don't have that issue here with wolves. I mean, we have wolves. We have, you know, Mexican, Mexican gray wolves, but we don't have that yep. many. We don't have that many. We definitely have lions and we definitely have bears um, and coyotes and whatnot. But, you know, our predator population has been pretty stable for a very long time. I don't think it affects, I don't think that's the reason why. But I, I noticed that one, he didn't have to be loud for them to hear it, which was another thing. Like he could be really, really quiet and get a bull to pipe off like two, 300 yards away. Mm -hmm. And you were almost like how you could barely hear it. And you were standing right next to him. That was very eye opening to me. Like one, their ability to hear that from that far away. And two, that they were more responsive to the lower sounding. And I don't know if it's because they felt like it was further away and it was okay for them to, you know, like, 
answer or just because the sheer that it was so quiet that it was maybe hard to hear that it wasn't a real elk making the sound and it sounded more mm-hmm. realistic. I don't, I don't, you know, I didn't know, but all I know is that, that I started calling cow calling quieter after that mm-hmm. and had mm-hmm. better success. Uh, now there's also times where I like to call loud when I'm kind of using that more of just a far locating deal, but yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think it's one of those things that definitely you know it, it, there's times to be loud when locating and you want to cover country, mm-hmm. but there's definitely those times to turn it you know down too. And and I think part of that in some of these areas where it's not so much of predator pressure, but part of these areas could be hunting pressure also. True. You know, ever ever since you know the the early days of the Primos videos, you know, came out and everybody has seen these videos of just running around and, and, you know, blowing sounds max volume. And, and that's what so many people have done. And as the popularity of elk hunting grows, you have more and more people out there that are kind of, you know, doing that same thing. And it's, uh, you know, that kind of leads into to one of the other, you know, lessons that I really learned was, you know, early on in my career, I was all about miles. Let, let, let's see how, how many miles, how much territory can we cover today? Uh-huh. You know, it's 17, 18, 19, 20 miles in the back country of, of rugged country of Idaho, you know, climbing up on ridges, taking that ridge all the way back and, you know, hitting another one and covering country, covering country, covering country. And I was sitting there one day and I was all the way, you know, back in this deep canyon and I was kind of sitting down eating a little bit. And I looked kind of down the, down the long canyon that I came out of, uh, that I worked up in and I noticed uh, elk out on an opening grazing a little bit all the way out at the beginning of an area that I came through. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm sitting there looking at it and all of a sudden I'm like, how many elk am I walking by? How, how how many opportunities am I missing out on? Because I'm so focused on destinations. I'm so focused on, you know, getting miles in. And I kind of made the decision then that I was going to work areas, not necessarily work elk. I mean, obviously if there's a bulk of bull, I'm going to head to that bull and I'm going to work to that bull, but especially early in the season when elk are quieter, slow down your pace and work areas, spend more, especially if you have fresh sign, slow down and, and be patient and work that area more. And and since we've started doing that, we have probably increased the number of call-ins, especially early in the season, by 60, 65%. Wow. And given us a lot more opportunities. That's huge. And it, oh, that's, but that is so hard because, you know, we get creatures of habit. We have, especially if we're able to hunt the area year after year after year, we have our favorites. Right. Areas that right. We don't, but, of course. And, and and basically it's, you know what, I just want to get from point A to point B. I don't care what's in between there. I just, I, I just want to get to point B, but man, that area in between those two points, I mean, you could be going through travel corridors, you could oh, be going yeah. through a bedding know. area, but because you blow through it so fast early in the morning, you don't even know that it's a bedding area because you're not even there when the elk are moving in to bed down and they're vocal and you don't even know about it. I mean, you see the sign, you see the rubs, you see the beds and, you're like, God, when, when are they coming here? Yeah. And, 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 and of course, you know, you start going, well, maybe this used to be a betting area, but now they've switched over to another betting area and you start playing those games to justify mm-hmm. covering all those miles and getting to the area. And so, um, and, and I don't know if it's, <laughs> if it's wisdom of learning things throughout the years of elk hunting, or if it's the fact that more ticks on the odometer of the years going by and I'm getting a little older and maybe slowing down a little bit more, but <laughs> man, I'll tell you what, since, since slowing down and working areas more, seeing a ton more game. So ton more. I learned the very same lesson. Well, I, the, uh, the outcome was the same, but I, or no, the lesson's the same, but I learned it in a different fashion. So, and I've, I've told this to people many times that 
the second you leave camp or the second you leave your truck, you're hunting until the uh-huh. until you get back to your camp until you get back to your truck. And let me explain that. Like how many times you're like, okay, I want to get to you know the top of this ridge and then I'm going to start doing this. And you have this plan in your head that you want to do something. And then you step out of your truck and you go freaking 15 yards and there's a herd of elk right there. Mm-hmm. And they go running mm-hmm. off because because you weren't hunting you're just like hey i'm i'm just getting out of my truck i'm gonna go like and that's like one of the things where i'm always like don't slam the truck door you know (laughs) don't freaking you know the second you we stop the truck we're whispering i don't care if we're still in the fucking truck you know we're i'm telling clients this all the time i'm like we need to just you know we're we're hunting from the second we leave to the second we get back yep because you oh, never yeah. you never know you like and 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 that you know it's like I said I learned the lesson different from you but it's the same thing like how many pe- how many times did you walk by you know herds of elk because you were just too focused to getting to where you wanted to get yeah oh we 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 learned that same exact lesson we've we've got an area that we take the side by sides up and park and then you know we we kind of you know, stand there a little bit in the dark. And then once it gets light enough and we throw the packs on and we kind of pop up on this little ridge and start hiking. And we would always pull up there and we would get out of the generals and we would talk in normal voices, just standing right there not even paying attention. And, and we did that. We did this for two years in a row. Mm -hmm. And then finally it was, it was an evening hunt and, and it's like, Hey, you know, let's, let's just go up there to the general park and, and let's just pop up on that little ridge and let's just kind of work that timber for this evening hunt. I think it was one of those things where we were coming off where uh, two bulls in less than a 12 hour period shot, shot one, the evening shot one, the morning. And so it was like, well, let's just go out for an evening, an easy evening hunt. Right. And, and, and we got up that area and we spread out and started calling. And all of a sudden we found three wallows, a major Creek crossing that had an elk highway. And so now anytime we go up there in the dark and we park, we just stay completely quiet and you can hear elk walking around, popping and feeding within (sighs) 200, 200 yards of where we're parked. Yep. Yep. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how often that happens. Yeah. 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 But, you know, we, we get out and we have those, we have those conversations and, and that, you know, reminds me another, another valuable lesson that, you know, ties into, you know, the wanting to hunt far and wanting to cover, cover country. I've kind of probably within the last five, six years, we've kind of molded and we really look at the map and we think of, we, we think outside of the box. We, we look at areas that people are just going to drive right by that they're not even going to consider because <clears throat> it's not that back country. It's not that, you know, we've got to go in two miles before we start hunting. And we actually have found pockets where there are elk less than 300 yards from a main road. And we have been in these pockets working these bulls and you can hear a truck come around the corner and that bull shuts up. We shut up and we'll actually have people stop on the road below us. They'll get out of their truck and they're talking talking and and they'll, they'll throw out a bugle and you know, you have the one guy, you know, I've hunted up here 30 years and I remember when I used to park here and there'd be bulls all around this bugling and it's just turned to crap. And I'm sitting 300 yards from them, sometimes less just chuckling yep. and laughing just because I'm like, dude, you've, you've, you've got a bull 200 yards from you right now. Yep. <laughs> and, and then, you know, then they, then they get back in the truck and they slam the door and they start it up and they go down the road a little bit and, you know, then go around the corner and you wait until you can't hear anything again. And then you engage that bull and you just get started again. And, and we've done it where we put those bulls on the ground and we've knocked the bull down, broke him down, and then we've actually staged the meat and then came back in the dark to haul the meat out to the truck because we didn't want anybody catching us bringing an elk out of that little, little <laughs> pocket. Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment to discuss some really important stuff with you. Take a minute and think hard about what hunting and fishing and the outdoors means to you. Now I want you to imagine if all of that went away. It's a pretty grim picture, right? Now that I have your attention, there's a long time 
narrative out there that has been promoted by the anti-hunting and fishing groups to paint sportsmen and women as villains. We need to stop this narrative. We need to bring the truth to light. So how do we do that? We educate ourselves on the North American model of conservation and the common myths that are pushed out by the animal activists. We take this knowledge and we start communicating with our non-hunting friends, coworkers, and just educate them on the truth. But I really want you to become an expert in your own right because the last thing we want to do is to put out false information or to offend somebody. So it's really important to just fill yourself with knowledge and become, unfortunately, become an activist. You have to become an activist. And I know that's a dirty word, but now more than ever, it's important for us to do that. We need to start planting our own seeds. That way, we develop more people, we turn more people into sympathizers. Because right now, we're faced with these issues where if a anti-hunting bill reaches the ballot. Now, Halfa Wildlife has been very successful at eliminating that, getting there, but we can't rely on that. Unfortunately, if it gets to the ballot, the anti-hunting, the animal activist groups, animal rights groups, they are in position to launch campaigns to the non-hunting public and they will pump propaganda into urban areas where people don't necessarily know anything about hunting and fill their minds with all kinds of lies and paint pictures of cute and cuddly bears and lions and wolves and paint this terrible picture of you, the hunter, the sportsman, who is the whole reason why these animals are on the landscape. So it is important for us to start in a grassroots effort, start changing the minds and educating the non-hunting public on the truth. That way, if something like this does go to the ballot box, you have possibly created a sympathetic voter for the sportsman. Keep that in mind. Think about it. Thank you very much. Let's get back to the show. I got a very similar story. So I had a client here, actually a good friend of mine, Drew, and I and I ended up guiding him um, for the 2020 season. And very similar situation happened. We were we were in bulls from like an hour before uh, first light, and we were on this ridge, and the bulls were going. These two bulls were going back and forth from across one one on the other side of the canyon that we were in and, and then the one that was on the same ridge as us and they were just going and I can hear you know a clunky old truck coming down the road and he came down the road and they stopped right at the water hole that was down below got out you know of course our elk shut up and he ripped you know a couple of uh Doug Flutie style bugles <laughs> and uh, didn't get any answer back and started talking. He's like, you know, when we were here the other day, they were going nuts. And, you know, it's like, I, I don't know what you're thinking, but like, he, <laughs> you, you didn't even like you got, you literally stopped the truck, you got out and you bugled. It's not like you stopped the truck and you waited like 10 minutes and then you bugled. Right. You know, you just, he just literally stopped the truck, got out, and you know you could hear the doors opening and everything. Like plain as I felt like I was like right next to them, even though I was, yeah. you know, a couple hundred feet above them. And I actually used that to my advantage. I told my 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 hunter, and I was like, "Listen, we need to just kind of, you know, sneak while these guys are making a commotion down there. Let's just make our way closer to the elk." And we did that. And actually, about a half an hour later is when he shot his bull. Awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. He shot the wrong bull, but he but he, he shot a bull. 
but he but he shot a bull. Yeah, it was it was his first. We were we were after a stud. My God, he was so big. He was like a three sixty bull. Oh wow! Yeah, and we shot, he shot. Yeah. He ended up shooting a raghorn. But it was it. The whole point is like you got to kind of have like a little common sense with that stuff, right? You know, the bull, well, bulls, deer, everything. They're used to people, especially here in Arizona. Okay, there's roads. Yeah. There's roads everywhere. Everywhere. There's, I mean, unless you're hunting a wilderness area, there is roads everywhere. Mm -hmm. And especially where there's water, because most of the water is cattle tanks. You know, it's all man-made stuff. And there was a road put in place for whatever to get there to make it. And that you're not going to get away from you're not going to get away from that. And the and the animals are used to it. They know, yep. okay, oh hey, here comes somebody bippity bopping down the road let's shut up and hide behind a tree you know that mm -hmm. that's what they do mm -hmm. and then after a few minutes after that sound has gone by or seemingly gone by they they go back to doing whatever they were doing it's not i mean it's not it, it, that it, difficult. It, what, <laughs> no it's it, but but what amazes me on that is you don't realize even just talking at a normal conversation level or a half whisper, oh, yeah. you don't realize how well that travels until you're in that scenario. And, yeah. and you know, that's, that's why we've actually incorporated a lot of hand signals. And, and I mean, I, I've hunted with Bryce and Brandon long enough that, that we're to that point where we just kind of look at each other. We know what the other one's thinking. We don't right. really have to have right. to kind of communicate, but, but yeah, the hand signals and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, how so many people have kind of had these same lessons, but then there's also people that, even though they hear about stuff like that, they're still in that destination mode. They're, yeah. they're still in that, you know, same. I, I mean, I, I talked to so many people during, you know, one-on-one -on -one lessons and it's like, okay, well, how long have you been hunting? And, you know, what have you done? And, and it's, it's amazing that so many people are like, yeah, I've been hunting for five years. And, and I'm like, okay, you've, you've been hunting for five years. You haven't had any success. And, you know, you ask him, well, well, what have you, what have you changed? What have you adjusted? Right. Well, well, I called you. Okay. Five years later, but what did you do in that five year time? Nothing. I went to the same camp. I hunted the same areas. I did the same things. And it's just like, okay, don't be afraid to try new stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be, don't be afraid. Don't, don't fall in love with an area, you know, be, be mobile. And, and, and that's the other thing that we've really adapted because early on, I mean, we were, we were back country, you know, we were, we were hunting off motorcycle trails and, and, you know, going seven, eight, nine miles back in and spike camping. And, and now probably within the last six years, mm -hmm. five, yeah, six, seven years, we've done more of a, a drive up base camp mm -hmm. to where we can, we can get in the truck and we can go 15 miles to the South or 15 miles to the North or, you know, we can cover so much more country. And, and I think that's really contributed to us getting into a lot more elk too, because we will go out and we will night bugle, but we do exactly what we, what you, what you mentioned is when we get to a spot, where we're going to bugle, we turn the truck off and we just sit there and listen you know, we're quiet. We don't even talk. We, we just listen for probably at least 10 minutes before we even throw out the first bugle. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, because you could pull up and you could have a bull crack off five minutes after you shut off the truck and you don't even need to make a sound. It's like, okay, we got a bull located. We know where we're coming tomorrow morning. Right. Yep. So, um, last year, last year was a very, very valuable lesson that, uh, I never realized. So Bryce caught COVID the second week of August. I caught it the third week of August mm. and our season opens on August 30th. So Yay. both of us lost our sense of taste. Both of us lost our sense of smell. So we went, you know, hunting all of last year with no, sense of smell and i did not realize really realize how much you rely on your sense of smell when you're hunting elk oh yeah or well, i've it, hunting anything but yes oh but elk especially yeah oh it's it's crazy i mean you know bryce 
Bryce shot a bull right at dark. It was kind of a high hit, not much blood. And, you know, we, we tracked and gridded and everything, you know, until probably two 30 in the morning. And then he went back up the next day to, to grid. And he just said, you know, you guys, you guys go hunt. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to grid. I'm going to look. And, and he spent all day up there. And then, uh, 10 days after the archery season, we were back up there on a, on a rifle cow hunt and we found his bull. We were within 35 yards of him, but we couldn't smell him. You know, the wind was blowing the right direction, you know, and we just could not smell him that first night. So it's, so it's not just the sense of smell when you're moving around and locating them and know that you're close, right. but also tracking mm. purposes. It's yeah. So yeah. it's just now starting to come back. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this season, that sense of smell will be back intact. Yeah. I, I caught COVID in January. I, I didn't lose my sense of taste, but I lost my sense of smell and I got it back fairly quickly except for I can't smell certain smells, which it, it's a really crappy one too. I was like, I can't smell my own BO. So I don't know if I'm freaking, you know, totally offending the shit out of people. I have no clue if I'm smelly, which is terrible. I can't smell my dog, um, which is weird I, that I can't smell him. Cause I, he, he was like one of the, he's, I don't, I don't know. He's a Vishlon for some reason. I don't know if he doesn't have a bath like every three days. He he's got right. a very distinct smell to him. I can't smell him. But uh, but have you have you noticed that your your sense of smell on sweet things is hypersensitive? No, no. Oh, that I've heard somebody else tell me that too. But no. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, it, it's weird. But you, you, yeah. you bring up the sense of smell, like I. So my first javelina I ever killed in Arizona, I winded them and was able to locate the herd. And I ended up using that. So this was, Jesus, I don't know, 1990-something. Um, anyway, I used, I start, when, it, when I did that, I started using that as a tactic, not just for javelina, because I realized that on elk, too, that every time I got into an area where there had been a bunch of elk and I could smell them, I was like, okay, cool, now, now, now when... I'm out in the woods and I catch a el- smell of elk. I figure out the wind, yep, exactly, and I go in that direction. You know, it's like, Same. you know, so <laughs> it, it, and I, I've used, you know, my my schnoz has gotten me uh, <laughs> quite a few animals over the years. We, we ruddy, do the ruddy same. deer, yeah. Yep. Do do the same thing. Yeah, you're on a trail, you're heading, and all of a sudden you you catch that whiff and man, all of a sudden you do a 90 degree turn and you start walking right into the wind because, you know, you smelt them. Hey, they're here. And yeah, that's, that's been a major, major part of our game in the past too. Yeah. Pretty crazy. So we got, ah, any, good, see, what, uh, got any good plans for this year? Or? You know, actually, so, so one good thing about last year was my youngest son, my 10 year old joined us out in the woods for elk hunting for the first time. And, and so, you know, we kind of made him designated raker. And so uh, he's, he's pumped. He's, he's pumped to go back up. And it's kind of funny because when, when we were heading up to camp for that first weekend, I was teaching him, I was trying to teach him how to use an open read cow call, uh-huh. but that, but that read tickled his lip. Okay. Too bad. And of course, his, you know, his palate's too small. We've kind of started him on diaphragm reads, but but still not well enough. That's why I thought the open read he would he would he could contribute. Mm-hmm. And uh so that didn't work. So we we made him designated raker. And I mean he did a phenomenal job raking. I mean, and he had a blast. That's awesome. And and it wasn't until about two months ago that we were in Cabela's getting something, and I saw the Primo's Hoochie Mama twin pack in, in in a discount bin. And so I grabbed it, the regular and the mini. And I was like, why didn't I think about getting him this last year? And so, so yeah, we're, we're heading back up for over the counter in our normal area here in Idaho. And, and he's, he's going to be with us again this year. And now he's, 
he's adding, you know, the, the cow vocalization aspect into, into the calling. And, and so really, really looking forward to getting him back out and doing, you know, getting his knowledge more, uh, growing on that and more experiences with, with him. And then, uh, Guy Duplanchet from Western Contours is actually going to come up and join yeah, yeah. me for a week. That's awesome. Yeah, Guy's a good guy. <laughs> he uh, he's helped us out um, with Hal for Wildlife quite a bit. Yeah, such a great organization. Yeah, he introduced me to to them when we were over in Salt Lake at the Hunt Expo. Nice. Cool. So yeah, we're just we're just over the counter, and actually, we did add. We just picked up some Baku e-bikes because uh, we have some motorcycle trails, you know, where we hunt, and these motorcycle trails aren't used very much at all. Um, I mean, I I think in in the five six years that we've been up there, I've seen three motorcycles on it, and that's been during the summer. Nothing during hunting season, and so we decided to uh, pick up some e-bikes and slip up quietly on these motorcycle trails and and help us get deeper into these canyons a little faster and and get up into some basins that these basins normally would be about a three, three and a half hour hike to get to. Uh And so these these e-bikes are that's going to cut that time dramatically huge to get up in there. Nice. Good deal. Well, awesome, man. Um, definitely uh, going to catch up with you. I actually, I have a tag. I have a tag in Idaho, but um, I'm probably going to end up turning it back in because um, I should draw the unit that I've been wanting to draw in Colorado. And if I don't, I have a longtime client that drew a tag here in Arizona and he really would prefer that I take him versus one of my guides. So I don't know because it's not, it's not a really great unit in, in, in Idaho. I can't even think of the name of it right now, but yeah. And actually the, the Idaho for non-residents, since they made that change last year, you know, was putting caps on non-resident tags in each of the zones. It's kind of, it's kind of spread people out a little bit. We did notice a little bit difference last year. Yeah. So it, it, it is making a little bit of a difference. I mean, I think it's pretty good actually. I like their system. Um, Well, and there's still the same number of non-resident tags. It's, it's just now it's capped, you know, per, per unit or per. Right. Yeah. That's felt like that's what they should do here with deer. Because we have that same problem is that we have, you know, it's still only like like fifteen percent of the total tag sales mm-hmm. are going out of state. It, that's not going to change. But it's like the problem is they were all congregated in the same units, you know. Yep. And it's like, what the hell, man? And yeah. un- unfortunately, there were units that I was hunting too. So it was like, you know, for me, it was an extra double whammy, but. Anyway. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's exactly what was happening up here, and and, and they put it, you know, you know, Fish and Game actually put it open for, you know, public response, and you know, then gathered that, and then they put some recommendations out and let everybody vote on it, and so they they did let us residents, you know, weigh in on you know what they were what they were doing, and then they then they also you know raised the Idaho fee to be more in line with you know neighboring states and. Man, I'll tell you what, when they did those two changes in the same year, my phone started blowing up from people that live out of state. <laughs> and and I told each of them, I'm like, look, you, you know, you can still come up here and hunt. And a lot of them were like, yeah, but now I have to drive two additional hours to hunt and I have to learn a new area. And and I just came back with, okay, well, then just draw, draw a tag in your home state. I can't. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you're still getting to hunt every year. Okay, yeah, you do have to drive two more hours, which, of course, this year that might be a, a lot of money with the way fuel prices have been. Right. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but but the opportunity's still there. I mean, there's still a lot of over-the-counter great areas to come up and enjoy. And, and the yeah. nice thing is, too, is know too that everybody's getting dispersed out so the area you're going it's not going to be yeah it's not going to be overrun yep yeah yeah so yeah you know the other thing that i learned last year too is uh we were 
night bugling. And I was messing around because I bought that Phelps metal tube with the external mouthpiece on it. And yeah. there was a there was there was a bull that he had a funky bugle to him, and I was trying to mimic him on this open reed bugle, uh-huh. and it just sounded awful. It. And, and 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 in fact, one of my hunting partners he looks at me and he goes, "You sound like a mentally handicapped elk right now. There is no way." And right when he says, "There's no way," this bull comes uncorked. Oh yeah. <laughs> And he would not answer anything except for that screwed up bugle. <laughs> That's funny. And and he, Eric pulls out his phone and he starts recording. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I want to show people that you don't have to be perfect on your bugles to you know get a bull to respond. And and again, that's one of those things. I was like, God, you know, we we spend so much time practicing and we focus on being perfect that we're afraid to make a mistake mm-hmm. when we're, when we're bugling, but you know, they make mistakes all the time. Yeah. Why can't we? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? It, it may not even be mistakes. Like they just all have their own, just like we do. We have our own voices. We have our own, I don't know. Yeah. Style of talking. Yeah. We have our own, some of us have accents and, and you know, some of us don't. <laughs> it's just, it's, I'm sure there's plenty of that going on, you know, in the yeah. Elkwoods too. Yeah. But you, you don't have to be perfect. And, and even, I, I know there's a lot of, a lot of people that when they're learning a diaphragm read that, you know, they're intimidated to go out and bugle because they're like, well, what if I screw it up? Yeah. So what if you do? Don't don't be afraid. Go out, go out and do it. Go out and try. You never you never know what's going to happen. And you know what? You may have a messed up, squeaky, poppy bugle that doesn't sound perfect. But man, you may get into a bull that he just eats that up and comes uncorked. Exactly, exactly. And I don't I don't think like me personally. I don't have a I don't have textbook. I definitely would not enter into a competition. <laughs> You know, I, I'm don't consider myself a very good caller, you know, I'm good enough, but I, you know, I've learned the language, which, and I know, I know situationally I'm, I'm good at calling. Um, I think I know well enough now what to say, when to say it definitely, you know, don't have all the, all the answers, but as far as my technique is concerned, I definitely don't consider, consider myself right about it. I've had a lot of success. But, you know, honestly, so. that's, that, that situational calling is, is more important. And, and, and I think with, with me, the, the reason I got so focused on being perfect was because of all the years of competing in the world championships and being up on stage and, you know, talking to the judges and well what are you looking for and and you know some of them are like oh well i'm looking for crisp clean notes with smooth transitions and and so you you almost become this technician right of okay everything's got to be perfect and because you practice that so much for the competition that rolls over to out in the field and in you you become that oh okay you know i'm programmed to you know do this perfect note transition hold it for this long and you know what screw that just relax have fun let it fly and in whatever it is it is and and just enjoy the time but focus on the situational calling of what you're saying when you're saying it to match the situation that's going on yeah and that you're exactly right that is going to lead to a lot more success. Yeah. I mean, it's great to have both. Don't get me wrong. If you can, you know, if you got the time to be <laughs> professional, both, then you're definitely going to have even more success, but, um, yeah, it, you definitely have to learn what you're saying. Yeah, what but, you're saying. but you know, I've, I've had bulls pull me in the past too. I've had bulls that I would bet a hundred bucks was a person. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And nope. It was, it was out. I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, 
99% of the time, it's pretty easy to tell the difference of whether it's a person or a bull just because of, you know, the depth that they get in their bottom end and, and some of the sounds that they do. But, you know, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is some of those low audible noises mm-hmm. that elk make that a lot of people don't even don't even give those low audible sounds the time of day. They're yeah. like, nope. I'm only going to focus on volume and things that carry. And, and to me, I think those low audible sounds are so important because that's what adds realism into your calling setup. And that's what sets you apart from everybody else that's out there mm-hmm. because so many people out there aren't even thinking about those. And you start doing those in your setups and, and yeah, you, you were talking about, you know, the low cow sounds and, oh man, that sounded, you know, real and, I mean, the huffs and grunts of a bull or glunkin, those aren't very loud at all, but oh, it's no. amazing. It's, it's amazing how they can hear those things from quite a distance away. Yeah, for sure. I had, um, Paul Medell was here last year in Arizona, he drew a tag and, uh, I took him out because I know the unit that he hunts is actually the, the unit that he drew is the unit that I like to hunt the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went out with him and not that I taught him something at all, but you know, <laughs> Um, he was very surprised at the fact that when I'm locating, I don't use a location bugle. I, well, I, I will, I will do location bugles, but I don't start off with a location bugle. My first, my first sounds are not, I want to say they're not low, but they're much lower than a, than a location bugle would be. And they're yep. more like, more like your moans. And I don't even know what yep. to call it because it's kind of like my own little thing that I do. And yeah. I've had more, since I started doing that a couple of years, a couple of years ago, I've had more success or definitely had more elk respond. I don't know if my success rate has actually gone up, but more responses so be able, being able to create more opportunities because of that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been unreal. Um, we, and I, we, we kind of adapted that from, from predator calling. Cause it was something that I made a realization in predator calling earlier than I did with elk calling one starting off lower and two, mm-hmm. sometimes like certain times a year, like for one, I'll like, you know, when it's breeding season around here for coyotes or whatever, I'll start off with like a, a lone female howl and then I'll go into something that would attract them to come, you know, kind of like introduce something. Yep. And I, I kind of started thinking about that. I'm like, okay, what should I do? And instead of me going out there and being a bull in search of other bulls or in search of cows, you know, I was a bull making bull sounds, but I was my own thing. Yeah. I wasn't trying to talk to anybody out there. I was my own thing. And then all those other guys wanted to start talking to me, you know? Yeah. 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 No, we, we, we take that same, same approach. I mean, our mentality and approach is work near first then work far. Yeah. So, cause, cause you, you never know if there's, if there's elk, you know, like we were talking within hundred, 150 yards of you. Mm-hmm. And so if your first note is max volume locate to reach 600 yards out there, that elk at a hundred yards is going to be like, Whoa, you know, they're going to be startled. Homeboy's too close. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not in the mood to be around another bull. He's a little too close. I'm just going to kind of slip out the back door here and he's not even going to know I was ever here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those, those lower sounds of, of working first, um, you know, it, it also too, a lot of the times those, those lower audible sounds like that are a non-threatening or a non-confrontational type sound. And they're, they don't have a problem doing some little sound back to that because it, you do sound a little farther away. You're not within their personal bubble and they don't, they don't have to sit there and go, okay, fight or flight. What am I doing here? Fight or flight, fight or flight. I'm going to flight. Yep. So, so yeah, those, those little huffs and kind of those little bedding, just whoa, those yep. little growls and groans, you know, like that. And, and yeah, that's, that's a great way to start. Well, cool, man. Well, Thank you for coming on. I appreciate oh, you. 
And always uh, a pleasure. We'll definitely have to catch up when after the season here. I'd like to see uh, see how you do. And hopefully, yeah, you won't burn be, your mouth this time. And, that would be awesome. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, next time it won't be uh, almost a three year span before we get a chance to do this again. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, where can our listeners uh, find out more about you and uh, and the program? Yep. So Elk Calling Academy, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And then the e-course, just remember elkcallingacademy.com. I do have that pointed right towards the Patreon page right now. And once we make that transition over into the new e-course, the, the same email or the same web address as elkcallingacademy.com, we'll, we'll point them right to... Uh, right to that also. And like I said, our, our target is, is first of July to have everything, uh, you know, put together now that the snow's off the hill, we're heading up this weekend for the first trip and all the camera gears coming to, to get back, to get the rest of the videos recorded and edited and get that thing up and running. Awesome, man. Thank you again for coming on and, uh, good luck to you this season. Oh, thanks for having me. and, And yeah, best of luck to you as well. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show.